Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Following the 2016 elections, there are many unanswered questions about what issues will dominate the agenda for our new president and Congress. In an eight part series, Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek's Washington, D.C. policy professionals and attorneys discuss their perspectives on the biggest issues facing the next administration. Brownstein's strategic advisors Barry Jackson and former Senator Mark Begich moderate bipartisan discussions on the first 100 days of Trump's presidency, as well as pressing issues like immigration, health care, financial services, tax and trade, education, infrastructure, and marijuana policy. In this episode, policy director Elizabeth Mayer discusses President-elect Trump's campaign promises related to immigration, how trends toward more national political leadership will affect immigration reform, and what type of legislative efforts are possible under a unified Republican Congress. This is Mark Begich. Uh, I've served in the U.S. Senate from Alaska for six years, been a mayor of uh, Anchorage, Alaska, been on the local city council and also in the business world for many years. So I joined the Brownstein firm almost two years ago, and it's been a pleasure. And uh, the topics that we cover are enormous. So I'm just glad to be here to be able to have a conversation with so many talented folks. Well, thanks, Mark. I'm Barry Jackson, and along with Mark, I serve as co-chair of the strategic practice here at Brownstein. I'm one of only two people that have served as chief of staff to the Speaker of the House and senior staff to the President of the United States. And along with my colleague here, Mark, I think we can provide you a pretty interesting back and forth about the role of the Congress and the role of the White House as a new administration and a new Congress takes place. So let's dive in. Joining us now, we have Elizabeth Mayer. Elizabeth joined Brownstein with significant experience in the U.S. Congress, working more than 10 years as legislative director for U.S. Senator John Kyle. Elizabeth is widely known for her work on immigration and homeland security matters. She worked as Kyle's chief of staff for numerous years on immigration overhauls, including the last major immigration effort in 2007, when Senator Kyle, the center's chief Republican negotiator, worked alongside chief Democratic negotiator Senator Ted Kennedy and President George W. Bush to try to pass reform. Good morning. Thanks for being here, Elizabeth. Thank and you. we'd love you to tell us now we have a President-elect Trump coming into office. So it sets the stage in a pretty dramatic way because on the campaign, he talked a lot about immigration from a wall to not allowing certain folks into the country, kind of the collection of things. And uh, tell us, kind of give us the snapshot of where we're at and what, what do you kind of okay. think is going to happen? Well, it really remains to be seen. I don't think anybody, um, if they say they know exactly what's going to happen, um, knows. And if they tell you that, they're, they're, they can tell you some small plan in Florida <laughs> also. Um, but I, I would say that um, just to – since we don't have a lot of time together, um, just to get right to the point, I think um, the Trump administration, um, once it gets up and running – I think we'll 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 look to try to immediately overturn some of the um, the, the the formal regulations and rules that a lot of members of Congress thought were sort of extrajudicial and unconstitutional. I also believe that there are a number of uh, quote guidances that the Obama administration officials put together. And those guidances can just be undone. And those guidances are, in fact, um, what makes it a lot more difficult for local jurisdictions to 
hold undocumented immigrants for longer, a longer period of time until the Immigration and Customs Enforcement folks can can come to, to pick those folks up if they've committed a crime. And the Obama administration kind of acquiesced and, and made it more difficult um, for that to happen in some cases. They also, um, through their formal guidances, which aren't rules, so they can just get undone, they made it more difficult for they they formalized a policy to make it more difficult to keep and then remove individuals who hadn't committed what they believed were significant crimes as undocumented aliens. And I think the rub is going to come immediately about, um, well, what do you consider um, a, a substantial crime to have been committed? And of those folks... Um, who the Trump administration newly will decide have committed what they consider serious crimes, of those folks, who will they then um, seek to immediately remove? On the Congress front, you know, I think there will be an effort pretty early on. Senators Durbin and uh, Flake and uh, a couple of other senators are anticipating that there might be an undoing of uh, what's considered to be a a DREAM Act class of uh, individuals who came to the U.S. unwittingly as children with parents who were undocumented and have stayed and um, are either in high school or college at this point. And even, I would say, senators such as Senator Sessions, he's never actually said that he's opposed to allowing a specific population of those children to stay in the U.S., What Senator Sessions has said that he is opposed to is the extrajudicial activity by the Obama administration um, and the loopholes within that population or class of individuals to get to stay here. And so there might be an effort behind the scenes that we don't see or hear about to try to come up with legislation that would not provide a path to citizenship, but would continue on. But within statute, those, quote, children's status to be able to stay in the U.S., Um, I think on the Congress front, too, if people tell you that they're just sitting around not talking about what they might have to respond to Democrats about if they put some sort of comprehensive package together, again, I have swampland. I think Republicans are having very comprehensive conversations about how the next year will go. And I think that there will be a large effort in the House um, to do piecemeal um, security first, but also to have other bills that might get considered maybe whole cloth in the Senate because some Democrats will bring it up whole cloth. But in the House, that would include border security. That would include interior immigration enforcement. That would include mandatory E-Verify, which is the verification system for employment. That would include significant reforms to our legal immigration system. Now, if we ever If we get to that, I'll be surprised next year. And then also potentially consideration of guest worker programs and increases to legal immigration systems. I will say Senator Sessions, while he has been a fan of reforms and increases in legal immigration as they're related to, say, a Canadian system, which is more based on a skill like nursing or something like that. He is not a fan of the unskilled 
guest worker programs that a lot of Republicans have been supportive of in the past. So there's going to be a lot of rubs. There's going to be a lot of work on this next year. I think a lot of the real actual work, not the fence, that Donald Trump has said he's going to get constructed because he's a, quote, construction expert and what a fence will look like whether it'll be a wall, a fence, some virtual fencing remains to be seen. But all these other topics I just remain, I just uh, named, including high-skilled temporary H-1B and permanent visas, people are going to be discussing those issues behind the scenes. In a bipartisan way, you think? Um, I think in the Senate side, yeah. it will... It just will have to be somewhat bipartisan. On those um, types of... On those types of topics. Right. You know, the H-1B visa program, for example, is capped at 65000 I think, right now. Mm-hmm. And for the last several years, that visa program cap has been met within, I think, 24 to 48 uh, hours. Very short. Very short time period. So I think that there will be a serious conversation about moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I think for those folks listening to this who care about skilled immigration – I think that some of the administrative sort of remedies that the Obama administration put together with respect to clarifications that an H-1B worker, while awaiting a permanent visa, can continue to work, that that spouse might be able to work, and that they don't get bumped to a disadvantaged place in line for their permanent visa. I just don't see Donald Trump undoing undoing that. And I will also say that, um, for the record, Donald Trump also, during the campaign, talked about his support for H-1B types of visas. But on his website, he criticized those visas. So I think that in the particulars of this um, wide-ranging scheme of issues, he has gotten and education. Um, but I don't see him being particularly um, critical of the H-1B program. There is a lot of alleged fraud in it, and I think that people will continue to want to work to correct that. But I can't see him saying he's against the H-1B visa program. Right. So I think that those are the types of issues that behind the scenes, um, especially in the Senate, I think there will be an effort to work on a bipartisan basis. So, Elizabeth, you've been at the center of this debate for 16 years. Last two presidents... Don't date me. Yeah. (laughs) Last last two presidents have made various efforts to try to do immigration reform. They tend to end up running into the same problems and challenges that everybody... You know, so as you think about that and you think about a, a Congress that while Republicans now control the Senate, the makeup of the Congress hasn't changed all that much... Do you see a scenario where the Trump administration follows the Obama administration and just says, I have a pen, I have a phone, I'm empowering my cabinet agencies? And if so, where do they start making the biggest impact? That's a really, really good question. And I will add that as the interviewer, you were at the very, very epicenter of those years of of our attempts to do reform. I, I think that that will happen, but I, I do believe that as a result of uh, individuals in Congress's complete criticism for so many years of the extra-constitutional, what they believe is, activity of the Obama administration, 
I would think that the sessions folks who are over there on the landing team and the transition team, they're going to be real careful not to, to do the same thing that the Obama administration did. But if you, think, if you think about DHS or you think about DOL, these other agencies that most of the time we stay focused on judiciary, but the actual practical work comes from the other agencies. So how do you think they're going to what, – what are the tools that are available if a President Trump says, I'm tired of the Hill not doing its job? Well, uh, one area could be in negotiations, for example, um, behind the scenes with the Mexican government um, and with an effort to kind of dangle carrots and sticks over the heads of the Mexican government. In other words, um, well, maybe Donald Trump will say I could soften on my position that you're going to pay for this wall if you don't come out vociferously and very loudly against my efforts to keep jobs in the U.S. You know, sort of a, a, a back and forth on that. And while Trump, while President-elect Trump will need um, congressional approval and dollars to begin the expansion of the fence and the wall, I just have to believe that there are ways that his very, very capable staff are examining as we speak that would create an opportunity for expanding what's already there and and buffering it um, in a way that doesn't always need congressional approval. And that way he can, from the beginning, come out and say, well, look what I've done. Um, and we'll back up his statements about him being a construction expert and all of that. So I can see that happening. And as I alluded to in the beginning of this conversation, I also believe that they will undo these um, guidances that um, that DHS came up with with respect to who um, ICE officials are allowed to initiate removal proceedings against. I think that they will just undo that guidance. Um, that doesn't mean they're going to focus on folks who haven't committed crimes in the beginning, but I think that the Trump administration will wield its own sort of authority as it relates to who they believe are criminals um, in that sense. So, so Elizabeth, we have our, our firm, as you know, has multiple offices in California, and it appears California is one of those states that have, has lots of sanctuary cities. So talk to me a little bit about if the Trump administration, either through executive order or, or through Attorney General Sessions, starts to come after sanctuary cities. Yeah. How does this work from the state level going up against the federal level? So that's a really good um, example of something that could happen pretty early on since you have a Republican Congress all the way around and a Republican administration. So – so many times in the past, there have been efforts to to link state criminal alien assistance program funds, which is a reimbursement program um, that localities participate in for um, incarcerating undocumented immigrants who have committed actual crimes. And um, states are, and localities are often on the hook for lots of dollars they don't get reimbursed for. 
there have been efforts to link together recipient of SCAP funding with the undoing of a sanctuary city policy. And in the past, it hasn't gotten all the way to the president's desk. I think early on, um, coupled with maybe some other topical enforcement procedures, that the Congress could pass a linking together and send that pretty straight away to the president. In other words, you know what, San Francisco or other entity, you can keep your sanctuary city, but you aren't going to get SCAP funding anymore. And some levels of SCAP funding is pretty significant. And so people are going to have to start working together because that could come. Let me ask you this. One of the statements he made, uh, President-elect Donald Trump, in the campaign was banning, and this was a broad statement, then it was modified, then it was broad again on banning Muslim travel into this country. What, what do you think is going to happen there, if anything? Yeah. Here, here's my position on that. Look, I respect his statement, but that all the way around, on the Democrat side and on the Republican side, that is a statement without meaning. After 9-11, we tightened up our State Department processing so significantly. There is a tiger system. There is, um, There are so many tightened systems that really make it so difficult for individuals already to come to this country if they're from a, an area or a country that um, is labeled by the State Department as highly terrorist. And so I just think that I appreciate that both the Democrat side, their rhetoric, and the Republican, the Trump campaign had their rhetoric. But the reality of it is it's already very, very, very difficult to come to the United States if you're from a country that participates so much in terrorism. And so, you know, I just think it was an unfortunate way of wording it, uh, but it's already very difficult to come here. So the reality may be limiting. The reality makes it unnecessary to have said uh, those things. Well, let me say this, uh, and I think Barry and I uh, appreciate you being here today. gives a lot of information and texture. So basically, a lot could happen short on some rules or some guidance. Long-term, hard to say on a broad picture of immigration, but maybe there's some stuff behind the scenes on stuff that people like that might deal with highly professional workforces and some enforcement and some other items. Is that a fair summary? I think that's a perfect summary, and I would broaden it just a little bit to say highly professional or highly skilled, but also just in areas that preserve family-oriented immigration, which is so important and you know, was basically part of the founding of this country, but merging it all together with um, an appropriate amount of of skilled. It doesn't have to be, you know, somebody who is a nuclear scientist, but if we have some shortages in a nursing area or some other um, skilled area that we could all work together eventually, I am hoping, to bring about some needed changes so everybody benefits. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. I appreciated it. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.